you asked earlier about how do we know and what are we doing that's different? So we do have 20, it's either 28 or 25 claims in our patent. Um, Uh-oh. He dropped off after oh, talking wow. about that patent. The patent police. Mike, the patent Mike dropped right there. They, I know. Yeah, I mean, it's... It, what was it? Either twenty six or twenty eight? Yeah. Patent police said, "Nope, then, you're twenty four, buddy." You're twenty four. May I have your attention, please? Welcome to Accounting High. It's freshman year at a brand new school. Here, we have no rules in place as we're on a mission to set our own traditions. So, hang tight and learn with us as we grow. At Accounting High, you can expect to gain knowledge in a completely different way than what you may be used to with some fun and oftentimes colorful conversations. Whether you loved high school or you hated it, here's your chance to be a part of an unforgettable experience redone. While you're here, don't forget to follow us on Spotify or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you may be listening to us right now so you don't miss out on any new episodes. And feel free to leave us a five-star review letting us know how the school year is treating you. So sit back, relax, and open your mind, because class is in session. I repeat, may I have your attention, please? This is another public service announcement brought to you in part by Accounting High. The views and events expressed here are of the next generation of accounting and tech professionals leading this space. The events and suggestions are not to be taken lightly. Children should not partake in the listening of this podcast. Anything else? Yeah. So without further ado, introducing the star of our show, Jason Ackerman and Scott Scarano. We're going to have a problem here. New intro. So did y'all, ch- y'all change your name too? Change the name. Look at that. Are you going to get rid of change anything up? else though. Nothing else changed. Just trying to make it more accessible, which is kind of great that we actually have a son of a cpa on what's up that's and me. we're no longer sons of cpas well sons of cpas will live on forever in its own yeah it's complicated there's like <laughs> so your host today jason ackerman and scott scarano and we have two bakers on that's correct jason you want to introduce our guest can you pronounce i think name? i can pronounce will and ford baker All or right. ford and will baker yeah, how do we? So, Love will it. you call your dad Ford, Jason? Do you call your dad Bernie? Bernard. When it, Bernard. when I'm mad at him. Okay. Okay. I got another what do you friend who works dad? with his dad. I call him Dad still, but if I if I had ever worked with him, I might call him Joe. Is call his him name Jojo Joe? now? Yeah, we okay, call him good. Jojo now because my kids call him that. But has he yeah. always called you Ford? No. It Just was a little weird at first. I think it was harder for him because he had to adjust all the time to not call me dad in front of a on a sales call or a or a CPA call. <laughs> then a oh, I call him dad in front of that. Just oh, behind yeah. his back, I call him Bernard. No, yeah, I mean, so when at, at least when we started, there was a lot of like, I, there was a lot for myself of just like learning, but like things that I definitely knew I knew in terms of how to support clients and work with them, and so it was easier to start. But we didn't like wear the father and son thing probably for the first year. Our one of our initial tech partners was Sage, and at um, Engage last year, a guy that's left what that was kind of the head of the division we were partnering with. We were Engage twenty twenty one. He was like, he was like, man, that Ford is a, 
he's a he's a wild card, isn't he? And I was like, yeah, you know, try try knowing him for twenty eight years or whatever it was. And he was like, how have you known him that long? I was like, he's my dad. <laughs> what? And I was like, yeah, we have the same last name, dude. Did you not pick that up? He was like, not at all. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, well, he's my dad. We left a we left an investor meeting, and Will had actually was a client of mine, and Will had actually interned in their marketing department, and uh, so we went back and we were talking to those guys. They liked what we were doing, and uh, we got done with the call, and he was like, "So where'd you find that Will guy?" And I was like, "Will, he's my son." He goes, "Well, I know Will's your son, but the Will that was in the meeting." And I was like, <laughs> "That's my son." He was like, "Oh, that's the same guy." And I, now I really like it because I know he can't quit on you. <laughs> Yep. So, it's been it's been a good process, though. Yeah. How many kids do you have, Ford? I have two. He has an older sister that has a couple of kids herself, so I've got a couple of grandkids. Um, and you're right, I look way too young. The gray beard blows that whole joke, though. I look yep. way too young to have grandkids, but now that I got the gray beard, I'm right. Oh no, <laughs> yeah. Anytime you got gray in your beard, you're old enough for a kid. Ackerman got grays on his sides. Right after his kid came in, now he's got that. Uh, no, I'm talking about grandkids. That's yeah. the part that's that's grandkids. A lot of my, Scott. a lot of my, a lot of my friends still have kids like in elementary school, but and so I do have a, I did get an earlier start than most, but anyway, that's. I want to know about what Texas A&M was like back in the '80s. Texas A&M back in the '80s was uh, that we, we were still next year's champion. <laughs> we've, we've been talking about next year. Hey, for you got the number one recruiting class this year, don't you? That's right. We got the right guy in place. And so we're really excited uh, about what, what Jimbo's been able to do and out recruit Nick and then actually get national media where there was a little bit of debate between Nick, a, a, stat, a, a coach of the stature of Nick Saban and our coach. We've never won those kind of national debates. And most people I saw said, you know, hey, Jimbo's right here. And, and I was like, Wow, we have always been second fiddle in this, so it was really, really exciting to. Uh, he's really given us a lot of cachet, and it's 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 nice. Yeah, it's a great place to go see a game. One of the things Will and I have done is we do a father son football weekend until the pandemic every year, but the pandemic has put a kibosh on that. But we go out and catch a game where we don't care who plays, and uh, I still think there's no place like A and M as far as rowdy. Mm-hmm. We've been 18, 17, 18 places. It's it, it it rocks louder than yeah just about you, anywhere. If, if you look up like top twenty five college football venues, we've been to so twelve man baby yeah twelve man more than half yeah yeah way more than half. Like we haven't seen Tennessee, Wisconsin. That's about. I saw somebody put Boston College on the list, and we skipped Boston College to see a Harvard game. So I'm not uh, sure that I would put Boston <laughs> College on that list. We well, Texas Washington. A&M's always ranked like top five in accounting programs. That's true. But very very true as well. Is that because of you? Was it, it like is, that back it, then? It's because of it. it. Actually, if we'd worked on busy season earlier, we would have never had it. But it just took an Aggie to take a crack at it, and that's <laughs> what, what we did. But oh, it's got a really, really good accounting program. Uh, we've had a chance to teach down there um, a couple of times since we started the platform, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, introduce the kind of what the automation looks like in the future for public accountants and what we're doing there. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. Well, so Ackerman didn't get the email preview that you sent me so i know your whole life story already ackerman knows nothing so i don't know if we should get this out of the way you know about how much weight you lost how much weight technically did it clock in that you lost so i never got if you ever get on a scale if you get close to 400 pounds you the it stops at 300 and you can sort of tell you weigh 325 by taking that notch over one you know the doctor's type scales 
So 330 is the most you can weigh 335 without having to go downstairs for uh, and step on a scale that looked more like for cattle. And I just always would starve myself to try to get the doctor to not take me downstairs. The most I ever weighed on a scale was 367, I think it was, or 366. Um, definitely weighed well north of that before I before I went in. So I would, I, I guess I was probably close to 400 pounds. We break 375 a lot, but the most I've ever been on a scale is 367. So that was a journey in and of itself. That was a personal journey, obviously. Um, you said Will was one of the main reasons why he went on that journey. Did he instigate that or was it because he was at a young age? He was, um, now he was actually, I was in college. Were you in college? Yeah, you were in college. And it was after my, uh, it was the summer after my freshman year of college. And they staged a phone, a, a conversation when I got home shortly after tax season in 2012 and talked about a cleanse that they were going to get on. And I listened to a sports radio station here and there was a cleanse. They sort of knew that I would just kind of jump in. Oh, let's do mine. And I would, and they just needed to let me make it my idea. And then I would embrace it. And so, we did the cleanse that was on the, the ticket here in Dallas and uh, started. Uh, th th that's when the journey started. At the end of that cleanse, it took about 10, 10 days to actually get everything in for the cleanse. And then you always start something like that on a Monday. I don't know if you guys have never maybe never tried to lose weight before, but diets always seem to start on Mondays. I start everything at the beginning of a month. If I'm going to start a new <laughs> habit or yeah. anything, it's always the first day of a month. So we started, it's a three week, it was a 21 day body makeover is what it was called. So it was supposed to go from Monday to three weeks later on a Sunday. And as I got to the end of that three week period, I got frustrated because I, my glasses quit working. I could, I, I wore bifocals and I could, uh, I couldn't read anymore with my bifocals on. And I knew it was, there were new glasses. I knew it was the glasses fault because I could lift my glasses up and read fine without glasses on. As stupid as that sounds. <laughs> I didn't realize that my vision had actually improved just because my blood sugar dropped that much. Took a trip to the doctor to get my glasses fixed. He noted that I had lost some weight. It, that type of weight, you can you know mix in a salad and, and drop a lot of weight in a hurry. So I, I apparently it was apparent that I'd lost weight. And um, he said, baby, your near vision has improved because of that. And sure enough, it has. And I haven't worn glasses. I'm not wearing them now to look at y'all on the screen. I haven't worn glasses since that day in 2012 to read. So it made a pretty big difference. He then gave us, the, this is the eye doctor in front of, this is what kind of crazy, how, what kind of technology they have at eye doctors. This is the guy in front of us, Sam's, you know, uh, store is the, is the eye doctor I would go to during tax season, right? Because I needed somebody was open on a Saturday type thing. And so I would go in and uh, he said, let me show you your eye. I can tell you a lot of things by looking at the eye. And he showed me how he could tell that I had high cholesterol, that I had, had high blood sugar, um, high cholesterol, high blood pressure, and high blood sugar. And when he got to the blood sugar thing, he showed me a picture of my eye, said this brown spot here is not bad on your eye, but let me switch. And it was a clear violation because I can tell you what street this guy lived on. Um, <laughs> he throws up another picture of another guy's eye and he says, this guy has to go to the eye doctor, has to go to the Texas Eye Institute once a month to get a shot in his eye to keep from going blind. And by the time I realized I got out of my head the idea that I was going to get a shot in my eye. I realized he also said once a month and I can't watch like saw movies or anything. I have a hard time putting drops in my eyes. The idea of somebody giving me a shot in the eye to keep from going blind. I was just like, well, I'll just do this cleanse for the rest of my life. That's not a great idea, but 
ultimately I started riding a bicycle and I ended up riding a bike from Canada to Mexico in 2014 down the Pacific Coast Highway. You lost you so, close to 200 pounds there, yeah. right? Some, some more, uh, yeah, on, on that ride, I was at 208. The guy I played, the guy I played center in high school and the guy, my quarterback had told me well after college that if I ever got under 200 pounds, he said he tattooed uh, my name on his ass. And so uh, there is no statute of limitations on a bar there. And so uh, we've, we've researched that legally. And so we, uh, I got to 208. I got him pretty nervous on the, on, the, on the Pacific Coast. The COVID has not been super friendly. I'm probably in that 225 range now, but uh, still not 400. Uh, so got out and rode, uh, get out and ride when I can. Before but, you die, you will tag that up. You yeah, will get below two hundred. I I I told him. Uh, I I called him in the middle of it. I was like, you know, I don't know if I'm a hundred percent comfortable with having my name on some guy's. Ass. Can we put it on your wife's? Ass? And he was not at all interested in that. And so, uh, well, 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 probably very very small font. He showed me some things he was thinking about when he was nervous. So anyway, kind of fun. So, you blame in the email. You blame tax season for the weight. You say you were sleeping in your office as a food. So obviously, it's not tax season's fault. It was your mindset around that, right? So you had that shift. Ackerman is, is on his way to, to 300. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding about that. But, <laughs> but work, Ackerman, you know, he grew up in a family that also worked tax season. Um, I don't know if his, if his experience was the same as Will's, but if you want to kind of, you know, share what shifted during that time that allowed you to do this journey while still practicing, still being a CPA, still being a tax practitioner. Yeah. You started this toward Ackerman, ended up toward me. As well, a yeah, I'm, I'm just p paralleling that. Like, you okay. kind of learned that like most of those questions don't make sense. You just kind of take and just answer something. <laughs> I don't ask too sort many of like questions. Being on a I podcast just make comments. With, this yeah. is kind of like being on a podcast with me. Yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> he but started we'll off and he started off in one direction and ended up with <laughs> an accounting solution. Um, but anyway, so yeah, I I I had that light bulb moment. I where I where I started to uh, the first thing I did was start walking. Then I started riding. I quickly had realized I was going to have to change things if I was going to lose weight. So I got rid of every 1040 client that wasn't associated with a business. And I got rid of everybody that didn't pay their bills. And I went to flat fee billing. I did everything that we actually built a engagement letter platform and using Excel, if you can imagine it, that generates our engagement letter and our bill once a year. We do it off of a billing summary we get out of our software and I could do all of my bills and engagement letters in about an hour for the whole year. And we just run credit cards on the first day of the month. So we became subscription based all of that made me a normal CPA is the way I looked at it. I had 55 during tax season and I didn't have to work as much overtime outside of tax season. And so as I finished that, ride, what? hours, 55 hours during tax season. Um, but it wasn't a hundred hours anymore. I wasn't, I wasn't getting 400 emails on the deadline. It was, I wasn't sleeping at the office and I was still riding and exercising some during tax season, but I just wasn't, I always was afraid of going back to that weight. You have no idea the like if you get on an airplane if you guys ever flown southwest where it's open seating you have no idea what it's like to step onto a plane and read everybody's face going oh my god don't let that dude sit next to me and that's the, literally what what happens when a big person gets on an airplane it's the way you feel about 
yourself as you go into any circumstance. And I just didn't want to go back to that, mm-hmm. how hard it was to get up the stairs, how hard it was to get into in out of the car. All of those things were, were a burden. And as that ride ended, I wanted to do it again. And I said, I've got to figure out what to do about tax season. I got to figure out how to solve busy season. I was too old to look for a new career. Uh, I thought now that I have one. And so I uh, just started to look for everything I could do to be more, I don't like the word efficient. I like the word effective to be more effective during tax season. So if I can, if I can chime in there, you know, just kind of like witnessing this and I think in that process, because, you know, especially after 2014, Ford started making a lot of um, improvements to his firm and that in between process. I think the, the thing he really started prioritizing that I see a lot of professionals not doing is he started, he still started prioritizing himself again. Like, so he always made sure like, even though the firm was still busy, he always made sure that I'm getting exercise in, I'm going to make the right decisions about what I'm going to do today, because that's the first thing I can control. And so he, you know, <clears throat> we lived uh, at the time as a family, we lived in like far North Dallas and their office was in Deep Ellum and that's a far drive. And so he got rid of his car and just started riding to work every day. And that's a 30 mile bike ride. Um, and so, 23. 23. 23. It's a long bike ride to do every day. You ride 23 miles every day, sometimes there and back. You're going to you're going to do a lot of work for your physical health period. But that was the thing that like even before he started like changing the practice, there was a mindset shift of like I got to take care of myself so that I can take care of my clients. I can take care of my I mean ult- first and foremost is family. Um, but you know, can't take care of my business and everything like that. If that Southwest flight is going down, whose mask do you put on first, right? That's right. That's so, exactly. Not the big guys. So when I was... All the oxygen. Yeah. No. <laughs> right. I know. But, you know. So when I did things at my firm and changed them, I would always say I'm trimming the fat. I mean, you were doing it literally fit, figuratively. But when we say we're getting rid of our 1040 clients, you know, that are 1040 only, working with just business clients... You know, we're changing up a lot of things. We're basically just getting rid of the excess, mm-hmm. all the things. Ackerman pushes back on that. He doesn't like that people are getting rid of 1040 clients. He thinks the 1040 client is being, uh, is, we're doing a disservice to the 1040 client by just letting TurboTax take over, by letting the H&R blocks. What do you think of 1040 clients? I think that if we could improve some of the reporting from them, it would be sustainable, but the problem becomes they all believe that they're going to get you this last document. And fortunately there's nothing else you're doing on April 10th, but they're 1040 and that you should drop that document in, review everything, crank that tax return out. And it just creates too much pressure around the deadline. If I had a bigger firm, I would have a whole room full of people that just did the 1040 part and it would, but I don't like disrupting in a small firm. I don't like disrupting my workflow. And we do focus on the individual and their owner. So everybody that works on a tax return works on that business return and the owner's tax return. So they see yeah, the impact together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they, cause that's, you know, 99% of my clients are passed through, but it's, so that's, that's, that's what we did. So every individual, like a lot of individuals, their mindset is me first, right? Like they don't care that you have all of these other clients. They want their stuff taken care of first. I mean, it, kind of goes with you looking out for yourself, looking out for yourself first. 
before. It's like anytime I get on the phone, if I get on the phone with either the IRS or customer support or anybody like that, it's all about me. I don't give a darn about everything else. I just want to get my problem solved so I can get off that call. And I think we all kind of enter into that mode when we're trying to deal with our, with our accountant or whatever's pushing that we just are going to start pushing back. What's wrong with you? Why is this so difficult? Um, all that kind of stuff. Well, I have found that the business client tends to think a little bit differently. They tend to be a lot more understanding and empathetic toward our situations. Um, I, I, I think owners. so. I think so. And, and one of the things that as I, as I worked on trying to become more effective, one of the things that I, one of the things that my business clients, I think, started to appreciate, they may not even have noticed, is that I quit asking them for information. And so that idea that I was getting everything I needed without, you know, like the tax, it's, it made it a little tougher when they wanted something because I didn't need them anymore to get the job done. And now they wanted to get something back. I was just like, I've been in this mode where I'm just kind of building this platform and, and gathering information and cranking a tax return out. That, that was the first, I think, really positive impact that we had was that we, we had access to all of the data in every file pretty early on in our process. I'm going to let Ackerman take over. I'm done with my questions. It's a, <laughs> it's a good, good place uh, for you to start, Ackerman. So you've got, you've got one other partner in your firm? I do, yes. And her last name is Ford? Was and her last name is Ford. It is not purposeful. She <laughs> married a guy with the same last name as my first name, which on the letterhead, we call ourselves the Baco Group, but it's Baker Ford and Company, which makes it sound like it's all about me, like it's my last name then my first name on the on the form on the on the on the letterhead but uh you know that's that's yes so it does not make her my like, daughter so it sounds like you've that do you say that's your daughter it does yeah. not make her my daughter okay yeah, <laughs> people assume, we're in the people south i mean it's possible <laughs> um so so you've always had a small firm you know one or two people have you have you thought about growing it larger or you want to keep it at that size Oh no, I had, I was getting close to 20 people in 2012. So I've you know I had I probably whittled down to eight or nine. There's five or six, two full time at this point. Doing the same amount of work, but we we have technology that eliminates our data entry more effectively. Yeah, doing it more effectively. More effectively. That's right. So did you you decided to make all these changes and you had all these people? Did you? Did you try to incorporate them or you just kind of were like, this isn't going to work. We're going to have to lay people off. I got rid of the people that took too much. I, I got rid of people too. So I got rid of problem employees. I got rid of problem uh, clients. So if you were a borderline, you know, I think that was the, probably the weirdest thing about the journey. I'm probably the last CPA to actually fire somebody, right? I mean, if you're upright, bipedal, can sit in front of a computer, you, you can make manager on that skill set. And so, um, I don't know. School. Well, we fired some people. <laughs> <laughs> Scott's fired some people too. So, but you're yeah. pretty much right. Yeah, if you have a pulse and can talk to somebody, yep. you can do a lot. And these guys had a lot more than pulse. I mean, could talk to somebody. But if I, I think the harder thing for me was as a staff person, I worked harder than the partners. As a partner, I worked harder than the staff people. And I just looked for the people that had a little bit more buy-in. Um, than, than the others and uh, that we're a little bit more committed to what we're doing. So so your plan now, keep it kind of the same and you're focusing more on your technology. 
Yeah, so we have a platform that we call Once Accounting, and um, it's a touch it once solution for CPAs. That is, when I get data from a client, I never have to ask for it again. The client never has to send it again. That's what effective looks like when you do it right the first time. You never have to do it again. So we've automated a lot of the, given the accountants the ability to automate a lot of their book to tax adjustments, we map everything to the right line on a tax return within about 90 seconds of connecting the data from QuickBooks Online, Zero, Sage Business Cloud Accounting. And uh, we can talk to just about anything because we focus on the standards inside the accounting platforms yeah. to be our to be what we build around. So the rest of the industry is all focused on that trial balance. That trial balance is not an industry standard and our industry is actually built on standards that are the law. And so by focusing on what is ultimately a customizable tool, does it have account numbers? Does it not have account numbers? Can it have sub accounts? Can it not have sub accounts? That focus on a work on that item in our workflow is where we've constantly gotten worse and worse and worse as we're trying to create automation around a customizable tool that is not at all consistent. So what we did is focused on the accounting standards inside the accounting software to gather our data agnostically. We don't care what form you fill out or anything. We're going to get the data in pure, clean data, create solutions that solve data issue like rounding so that when we solve rounding, we've solved it for audit. We've solved it for tax. We've solved it for every single platform at the data level. And then what we do will start to branch out into it's the focus we always should have get the accounting data pure, clean, simple first, and then say, okay, this is an S corp. Then say, this is a partnership tax return because that data now matches the client's data. And I can start every one of my projects internally without going out and getting another trial balance. And oh, those, that data changed. We can now track all of that. And we actually track and tell you if the data changed since you pulled it if, uh, or since you closed it, we'll tell you a lot of things like that as well. But initially, we're, we're going to do a lot more than just map to the tax return. We're going to identify the fixed assets. We'll tell you keywords that the IRS looks for when you're when the audit. We, we'll kick off a series of alerts to kind of prime the pump for a CPA. But then you can start to build it out from there. It is a knowledge based platform that is what we call AI is accountants intelligence, not artificial intelligence. It is what's between the keyboard and the floor in a real simple low code, no code format, we give the accountants the ability to tell us what to do. And then we just do that going forward. Yeah. And it's something that got built within his practice based on, you know, the client work that he was doing. Yeah. The CTO sat across the aisle for me and every time he got stuck, I would, I can answer. So what's, what's the TAT software you use? We use Lacert. So, so you like, I guess, how'd you decide that you guys needed this software? And that, and then you decided to build it. So, I, 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 I had a tool I could consolidate for a client of mine. I could consolidate there for monthly reporting purposes, and as they went through an audit, I could consolidate forty-three QuickBooks files in about half an hour, and it was all QuickBooks desktop. And I could just gather this information and then build these pretty complex monthly reports inside of Excel. But I was using um, the the SDKs within QuickBooks Desktop to pull data. And as I went through that process over a period of time, what I noticed was that my tax, the tax process, I was getting more and more effective as well. And I could pretty quickly generate those financials, but I was telling me, oh, you've got fixed asset additions and things like that. And I was keeping up with the tax return. And I just started to say, what if I kept this process up and started to automate that next step so that we, we could go book to tax? I have always thought 
this is an industry that is just built for better automation than we have. Everybody has the same deadline. They fill out the same form every year. This is ideal. I used to say it was a bad thing that everybody had the same deadline, but it, it really isn't. It, as you start to think about it through, this should be an advantage to us. I know right now what's due next April 15th. Why am I not working on it now instead of the six weeks before the deadline? And that's, it just didn't, it never made sense to me that it was this complicated. We were far better before we had computers back when my beard wasn't gray than we are today. Because I worked in that environment when we had more typewriters <laughs> than computers and we worked less hours. We had higher staff retention, higher client retention. Everything about the industry was better in the 80s when we got started. So why, so why do you think it's worse now? Because we solved our problems when we did it all in paper. Everything inside, I'm sure there were ineffective CPA firms, but everything inside the CPA firm I worked at, which was Savile, it's, you know, top 200 firm here in Dallas, but everything had a process, everything had a form that it went on, everything, there was a standard on how we did everything. I couldn't even type my name under it on a letter. We, we'd signed our name without our name underneath it, and you were not allowed. We couldn't abbreviate. They were so focused on everything being done exactly the same, and so there was a process. We worked, we started working on you know, at the end of the year, we started working on tax returns for the next year, getting the spreadsheets updated. Partners would start calling. Hey, we you had a big surprise last year. That year in process, we had enough time in the in the year to actually start making phone calls and saying, hey, you know, can we get the data in? Can we start working? on?" But we were doing all of the accounting and the clients were sending us data to do the accounting with. Now they do all the accounting and send us balances that they don't know if they're right. They don't know if they're they don't know if they're complete. They don't know anything about those balances. At that time, we would send them back transactions that they didn't know how to post. So we were in this process where we kind of flipped. They did our job and we were trying to take their work and put it on the forms. We just never got caught up from that, that desktop. I talk a lot about when I was, so John Savilsman has passed away many, many years ago, but at that time he still was in the firm. And when I went out to one of his clients to install computer software, he looked at me and said, Hey, just because somebody buys accounting software doesn't make them an accountant. And it's like, don't worry, old man. You know, you're, we'll get it solved. We're going to be fine. I'll train them. Thirty years and that was thirty years later. It's exactly what I say all the time. Just because somebody buys accounting software, they're looking to us to help them understand what to do. And we don't ever have time to get it done because we spend eighty-five percent of our year putting, and that's what numbers look like inside my firm, putting last year's numbers on last year's forms. If you're doing that all the way through November 15th, essentially, when do you have time to plan and be proactive and things like that? So how, how is the product different from like a CCH engagement or a tally for or? Well, CCH engagement is hoping to do to be done with the mapping algorithm for all the forms in six years. And we we built that out about a month and a half. And so um, from a technology, from a technology, yeah, to map every line to the right line on a tax return. But it's different in that we we started from scratch and we started to challenge everything that we had sort of become accustomed to. So the first uh, element, obviously, is we're transaction based. So all transactions in every single accounting software package is formatted exactly the same. A journal entry. If I write a check behind the scenes, it's a journal entry that debits expense and credits cash. Right. Real simple process to go through. But we all understand how that works inside. Uh, but we don't focus on that. But with a debit on the left, credit on the right, an account name, a date, 
a vendor name, things like that are all inside every one of those transactions, no matter what accounting software. So if I gather that transaction and bring it into one place, I can stack QuickBooks Online, Zero, Sage Business Cloud. I've got a client with about 6 million transactions that you know, on Microsoft Nav, we've got 85 entities that we're, that we're dealing with. And so um, file a consolidated tax return with those guys, but they're in Microsoft Nav, debits on the left, credits on the right. By having that kind of functionality where I look and see every client in that same format, then we're, I can log into one place and see every client for the firm without having to log in and out of any software. I just change the client, bring up the new reports. It's, it's simple, it's easy to work with. But the other thing we did, the other part we did is focus on what does that accounting software do with that data, which is build a balance sheet and an income statement. And we figure out how the software knows how to do that. And then we replicate that the first time we onboard so that you have a comparison. Does the balance sheet and income statement tie? Yes. And so then we, you, you can begin to work inside that data, but then we'll update it every night and bring in the new transactions that took place since yesterday. And, and you get a notification if anything changed from last year, if anything, if they added a fixed asset, if they put something and ask my accountant, um, you can write your own standardized alerts. But if they use the word gift in a memo, that's a four letter word. IRS looks for that under audit. So we can start to be proactive and look for the words the IRS is going to look for every day and start to coach clients to not to create non-deductible categories on their chart of accounts. Why do we need a category that says this is entertainment? Why not just break entertainment out of promotional that can't be deducted, but quit deciding for the IRS what's deductible and not, especially because clients are doing that. At a transactional level, level What's in entertainment inside my firm was Christmas parties, 100% deductible. Uh, tons of tons of other meals and things like that that were definitely client related dropped into entertainment. So now that's becoming not deductible at all. And then I had a client that had a restaurant and had a high entertainment expense every year. And when we start connecting and pulling the data all the time, I start to see, oh, that's the guy that plays uh, guitar in the corner. Mm-hmm. And I assumed that she was just out entertaining people and whatever. And I was like, I'm not worried about it. It's not deductible anyway. But that was the that was 100 percent contract labor. It was the guy that played guitar guitar in the corner of the restaurant. And she called that entertainment. And that was they, I was like, oh, my gosh. So seeing things at a transactional level really opened my eyes to what was happening underneath that I was missing before in the couple of weeks before the deadline. Yeah, there's there's a lot more. I think the, the shortest way to put it is there's a lot more granularity and what we're able to do. And a lot of basically set up once and it's done. Like part of the reason why we talk about once and why we call it that is that at the moment of connection when it's mapped and ready to go, it's done forever. So it's a perpetual connection that's not actually re-upped every time. So that's another big benefit. So if you change like a transaction in your software, does it change in zero or QuickBooks Online? Yeah. I, um, no, we can post an entry back. We don't actually edit every transaction. We don't edit transactions, but if I want to make a journal entry, I can post it back into the file. So like if you're taking all those entertainment, you're like, this actually is an entertainment. I need to yes, I put check it someplace else. And I can either make it entertainment debit something else. Yep. Yeah. So it'll identify those transactions. I can check them off and it will start the journal entry for me. So it'll credit entertainment expense. It'll put the same date on it. And then I just pick what category I want to put the debit in. And I can make that a tax adjustment or a book adjustment. So if I make it a book adjustment, it'll push it back to QuickBooks. If I make it a tax adjustment, it'll just make that in the workflow. It'll make it and I don't have to redo it again for the end of the year. Right. Because my transact because I have a transaction based platform, the transactions, the work I do during the year has a direct bearing on the balances that go into the tax return. 
And so I don't have to redo everything every time I pull a trial balance because I'm not pulling trial balances. I'm pulling transactions and building a trial balance. So if I create any automation, I don't have to go back and do it again. Or if I create an adjustment, I'll have to do it again and I can automate those adjustments. So we automate all of your recurring timing differences for AR, AP, prepaids, all of that. We can automate all of those adjustments. You just tell us what accounts you want to reverse to, then we'll start that process. And so we can build from an accrual set of financials, we can actually build a tax-based, automatically build a tax-based um, income statement as, at the same time. So does it connect to the tax software? It talks directly to, there's no data entry for the CERT. Yeah. For the CERT. Yeah, there's, um, then we have data feeds, imports into um, UltraTax. UltraTax, those other ones. We're working on other platform integrations for, um, for like the Walters Kluwer suite and for um, Go Systems, the old, yeah, the UltraTax big boys. Yeah, big boy UltraTax. So we're still working on that. <clears throat> A lot of our clients are UltraTax and Lissert users, though, um, for the most part right now. And not that we haven't had interest from CCH people. It's just, I mean, we just haven't. We, we spoke yeah. at the Thomson Reuters conference last year as well. We were at the Thomson Reuters, so we have a little bit better connection with them. But so you don't have to map anything for an UltraTax client. We, we take care of that completely 100%. But because one of the other things that we do very different is we create a standard for the firm that you can adapt and change however, or adopt, I'm sorry, adapt and change however you want to, to change, but a standard uh, set of tax groupings that looks exactly like a trial balance. So account 10,000 cash is cash for every one of your clients as far as the tax return is concerned. So even if you use CCH, when you upload and map that first tax return, CCH will remember the next time what that ha what, it, what it looks like. And so then it will automatically up update it. When I built the platform, that's how the CERT works as well, if you don't actually use the SDKs. And so I would export a trial balance out and then import it into the CERT. And once I mapped it one time, then I didn't have to map it again for my client. So I was I was actually I automated all the data entry inside of Excel before I ever went to the before I ever actually started talking to tax return. Yep. But by having every everything exactly the same, it makes it so you can actually change from a partnership to an S Corp. You don't have to worry about remapping or doing anything for that. Just change it and we'll send it. Repairs and maintenance is repairs and maintenance, no matter what form you prepare. That's probably the biggest mistake everybody makes is that everybody says, I'm going to write an algorithm or I'm going to use machine learning and here's what I'm going to do for the S Corp. Here's what I'm going to do for a partnership. And this is why Walters Clears has taken six years because this is what they're doing. Instead, we brought all the data in and mapped everything into buckets. One reason why Walters Clears may not want to do that is because now I can talk to any software in the world because every single package looks exactly the same. And so as long as you're mapping to the form. Yeah, exactly. Map into the, form, to the, form. the platform. Yep. And as, as with most forms, there's like five real categories. Everything else is other anyway. So. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And we put it, and so we put it in, we put it in other and we put a standard, you know, like professional fees is what professional fees is going to be for everybody. But you have to deal with those kind of one-offs. Advertising is, you know, an other on some forms and not. Schedule C has a lot of things on page one that isn't in, you know, on page one for anybody else. So you've got some differences there, but most of it is, you know, most everything ends up on. But on you start with the source and then you map, you have this um, different branches, yeah, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Your bridge so, has the entry points, goes to the middle, and then a few different exits to that bridge. Yep. And and you asked earlier about how do we know 
and what are we doing that's different? So we do have 20, it's either 28 or 25 claims in our patent. Um, uh oh. He dropped off after oh, talking wow. about that patent. The patent police. Mike, the patent Mike dropped got right there. They, I know. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, what was it? Either 26 or 28. Yeah. Patent police said, nope, you're 24, buddy. You're 24. No, yeah. So, But <laughs> we, we do have a patent on the tech, too. There's, there's, there's a good bit of difference, but. Um, yeah, it's 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 power. It's a cool piece of technology, and it's. Um, so how were you involved with like, who who came up with this idea? So this was Ford's brain baby. Um, he cooked like like he kind of talked about. He was working with a client, cooked it up. You know, essentially needing to figure out a way to get data faster and faster. And then he started working on. I'm getting all this data in a really efficient manner, and I'm able to do some things with it. What else can I do with it? And so he started working with some developers. I started, I graduated college in 15 with a degree in advertising. Um, and then pretty immediately went into kind of client services, marketing stuff for a tech, for, for technology. So I started working with him on some basically like once he had figured out what he could do with it, started automating some of the things he was automating in his firm. I started working with him on marketing that basically because he had built this tool that was allowing his firm to be pretty effective and pretty efficient with their clients, provide a little bit better real-time consulting, better reporting information. And so what he was able, so what I started working with him on was just basically how do you market that? How do you start selling it to businesses and that type of Was service. it your brain baby to change the name? Uh, it was my insistence, yes, to change the name from Baker. Yeah, because the prior name wasn't very good. No, I'll the say. prior, the so the, re, and the I reason thought why of it, food. I thought of pig fat. You know, the, like well, you that means that you would have pronounced it the right way at least. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, the reason why it was called Baker Tech is because the CPA firm was Baker Group, and we were going to sell it as basically. And that got confusing too because I saw the logo of the CPA firm and the logo of this, and it's like, all right, which one is? But yeah, so like bringing I like once. Yeah, once so the reason seems pretty refreshing. Yeah, so the reason why we even hopped into once was uh, you know, I I came in and I was like, you know, so that project literally like I remember at my old company we were working on that project and we just called it Baco Tech for the time being and it was like only planning to upsell, you know, CPA services to businesses. That's what the whole project was for and then where our relationship with Thompson Reuters started was they picked up a press release that we had helped put together and that changed the conversation around capital raise that changed the conversation around the validity of the idea and so that's how we ended up getting some funding to the table and actually starting the company um, and so we started and in 2020 we basically had a mind to go to market in a way of like let's kind of soft launch this and then COVID hit and so we rebuilt the product, changed some of our messaging. In October of 2021, we finally hired our sales director. And when we were having that conversation, I looked at Ford and I was like, we are not investing in a salesperson and anchoring her with a bad name of a product. And so we started the rebranding process. Like we interviewed her and like liked her. Her name's Terry. She's great. We interviewed her. We really liked her. And basically the next day I was like, if we're hiring this girl, we're we're rebranding. And so we launched a little prematurely because of getting into the startup accelerator. We changed, we changed the name ahead of course a little bit, but with all the publicity that came with that, we didn't want to 
you know, miss an opportunity and then change a name later. So we'll finally be rolling out the last bits of the brand stuff um, in this next week. Probably we'll be launching out the new website and then we'll be fully rebranded into once, which is very exciting. So, so new colors too. I saw new some colors, green. got some green. That's kind of the primary now. Um, you had you to know, get rid of the Texas A&M uh, burgundy. I always, I always like to, I always like to protest that it looks a little bit more OU crimson than mm. Texas A&M burgundy, but um, yeah, no. So we, it, yeah, it was a very uh, kind of stars aligning conversation. We were kicking around a lot of name ideas. We had Unify there for a little bit. We had, we had Exponent or a bunch of names and. We had something uh, with Stream too. Uh huh, and then. We had a, a kind of a guy that was looking at investing, and we had been kind of pitching to him in this process. And he was talking to us just about brand and everything. And he was like, "What about this name?" And we were like, "And then he literally like was like, I bought the domain for you. I'm gonna transfer it to you now." And we were like, "Okay." So he didn't end up investing, but he gave us the domain. So that's pretty nice of him. So it's pretty, pretty stars aligned. We're we're pretty happy with it. We didn't have to make up a word or anything like that pretty easy well one of my one of my favorite stories though is that it, they would come up and they for some reason it looked like bacon to me and so he pronounced said. it bake o and everybody pronounced it baco did you tell him that while mike no he, he he goes the name change is great because it always reminded me of food and pork fat and bacon and i was like well at least you pronounced it right but so will was will was very excited to not have to explain to anybody ever again what did bako mean or or that bako not baco all of that and the very first is like it's 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 exactly as it's spelled it's perfect i can't imagine it being better, it's going to be wonderful. The very first conference we were at, somebody walked up and said, so Onse, what does that mean? <laughs> and I was like, you've got to like, be kidding me. Are you- Onse? Onse. Jesus. Yeah. Ackerman. Was that-, was that you? Was that me? That was no, a joke? No, it was, at, it, uh, it was at the accounting web conference, and some dude that was just like attending the conference walked up and was like, what's we're, Onse? And I we're was so... Like, that uh, could have so been me. To, we're so used to no, redundancy. No, I promise it wasn't, it wasn't me. I know. So we're we're uh, so used to redundancy in our workflow that um, it makes more sense to call something eleven than it does to call it once. That's what. <laughs> the joke we like to and make. So, yeah. that, and if you don't know, once is Spanish for eleven. So um, but that's it. Ah, <laughs> now I get it. Yeah. Yep. So glad I explained that your, one. Your wife's Spanish. Come on. I, well, I already knew Onse was a, eleven, but I didn't connect it when you said eleven. I like that. No, I connected it to Stranger Things. I was thinking of oh, the girl with the powers. I love so, Stranger Things. There you go. And and it jumps from one to eleven when you talk about the ones with the most power. So that's true. That's a nice little tie-in there. See, so this, going back this. to the tie-in to Accounting Web, that is where I came up with our new rebrand name. Oh, really? Was on the floor of Accounting Web. It was brainstorming a couple different ones, and all of a sudden, accounting high seemed to make sense. Is this kind of like is the play on it uh, intended to be like high school education? We're four twenty. Absolutely, yeah. both, <laughs> both, <laughs> very much so. So the branding it, and I, I understand. I empathize with your name issues, but once is great. Um, yeah. I was just thinking like. You know, the the problem, so everybody thinks Integromat's new name, you were talking about no code, low code. Everybody thinks Integromat's new name 
isn't that good. They're complaining about it. Make, right? Their name is just Make. I think it's beautiful. I think it's perfect. And if they continue to own that, people aren't going to ever search for Make. They're going to know that they are Make Mm -hmm. and use that as the acronym. Once is, or not as the acronym, use that as the verb or the the description, the descriptor. People don't like saying no code or low code. You know, they don't like using, using that. But if you make something, there you go. Like, so once is going to be your. Yeah, that's, that was the nice thing is, you know, the full name obviously is like once accounting technologies, but we're not trying to, you know, own that. We're pretty much as quickly as we launched it saying once accounting technologies is the brand we've basically been calling ourselves once as much as we can. So that that's what sticks. Um, so, and there's a bunch of fun stuff that we're going to be able to do with the iconography. And um, so I was, act- and I'm actually thrilled to hear that you guys uh, are rebranding because I, Ford and I were having a conversation and we were looking at like, I was looking at a sheet that was like podcast to listen to. And I was like, man, it's kind of a bummer. I don't love the Sons of CPA brand, but I love their podcast. And so hearing that you guys are changing that, I'm like, all Perfect. right. That's what we like to hear. That's what I'm going so, for. Awesome. Are you going to get rid of the... Uh, Funko um, Pop guys. Funko Pop guys. I don't think so. Yeah. I'm going to keep the Funkos in the whole accounting high brands somehow. Are you a do you are you a big Funko Pop guy? God, I have a wall of about 300 of them in oh, another really? room. Yeah. I might be obsessive. Can you see my He's got a magnet. magnet. I see yours, yeah. That's a magnet from everywhere I've been, so cool. I got a few in my office here, but nothing like in the room the other room it's it's pretty crazy i've got luka Doncic back there a nice little funko yeah. pop of him so you've got don't you have uh didn't i give you uh the guy I've from dec- i've got a decent amount at the office but we're moving out of our we're moving out of our space so i still haven't gotten all that all my so stuff is that office. yeah so so let's go back to trimming the fat too right i mean a lot of firms are looking at what they can trim, what they can do differently. Some are moving out of their offices. Some are rethinking the way they have compensation or rethinking overseas or offshoring. You know, this, this whole once thing, are you going to start replacing more or is it, can you, is it always going to be this, this solution? Are you going to have other solutions with once? Oh, so we've got once, um, tax once M and a, um, is is very functional. We just don't have a front end around it. We'll have a once cast solution. We'll have a once audit solution. So again, our space is not going to be to automate the, you know, to do a random selection. Somebody's already written that software. We just want to feed data in to, we'll be agnostic to what accounting audit software you use. We'll just, every day we'll pull the data, but you could start pulling, your audit staff could come in and be just assigned Here's the audit transactions that we selected last night and start the review process on them where you're reviewing transactions that took place recently instead of last year. Um, and so you're pulling them, you're pulling stuff right off the client's desk. I know I started on audit and ended up on tax. People hate the idea of us coming in a year later, taking up a conference room or just constantly asking for data from the previous previous year. I get ahead of it and start to identify transactions when they occur. We can still be independent. Um, and so we can gather this data and then start to be a little bit more proactive on, on every side. Yeah. So we definitely have a mind to, you know, uh, one of the reasons why we like the name unify was the concept of kind of unifying all of the silos of accounting, CAS, audit, um, 
and and stopping the process of like let's solve the problems for the individual verticals and in accounting but like let's recognize like the data flow problem that we have um but we uh you know where we where we sit right now is like essentially like we've got the we've got the tax as the mvp you know the minimally viable product that's that works for everybody and it's what we've built out and so you know where we're at as a company is more like when the right client comes along that wants to start leveraging this for CAS, for audit, for M&A type, you know, by M&A we mean like transaction advisory stuff. Um, so w when those people come along, we're excited to see how our tool can be used as a, you know, as a weapon in their arsenal, so to speak. I, as a tool in their toolkit. As a tool yes. in the toolkits. And what I am really, really holding out hope for is that we, are able to create a little bit of leverage to open up the APIs and get everything because I, most CPAs pick a software package. They may have something they really like in a package, but they're going to pick the package that's weakest point is going to fuck them up the least. And I had to drop the S-bomb at least once if I was going to be able to cuss on a pad. I need to share this with my pastor when we're done. I love enjoying the... the, the oh, we the have him on next. <laughs> so, yeah, he's not going to, nobody's going to listen to an accounting podcast anyway that's going to get offended except for accountants. And so, um, anyway, it's, it is a terrible way to make a decision. Which one is going to, but it's literally what more CPAs will tell us they do. They'll just not, yes, I don't, you know, I may have liked I think a lot of people are going away from that. That, that so. was the big, the, if you're stuck in this pile, are going to best to breed. You know, but, yeah. but we, we've not been able to get, um, Walter Storrs, Thompson Reuters to really open up. Um, oh yeah, they'll they'll never open up. Well, yeah. We're hoping we can. We're hoping that we can start to make a difference because <laughs> I hope so too. Because yeah. the patent is gonna is gonna keep this concept in our space. We're working. Well, it's gonna take them. some disruption on their side. Like QuickBooks, it took zero to really open up their API, and for them, and it made them so much better. I think for tax, it's gonna take the right cloud product that works that is starting to threaten yeah. the Speaking two of, of them. That, like you guys use Lacert. Why are you not on Intuit Tats online? Because you can't talk. It's, they, they've closed the APIs for that. It's totally closed. Yeah. So so we have a better select. We have a better solution to go from QuickBooks Online to Lacert Desktop than obviously the Intuit does. But it works better than the the platform their platform does to go from QuickBooks Online into Lacert. No fucking way. So wait, wait, no, no but. QuickBooks to ProConnect, does that work? That's terribly. Oh Jesus! Well, you can't even. No, you, on Intuit Tats Online, you can't even it. import from the desktop. You can only import yeah. from QuickBooks Online. Yep. You can't import. You can't import an Excel yeah. sheet. I I was talking to a guy at Accounting Web, and he said, um, you know, he he serves the vertical that our product was like client vertical that our product was built for businesses and their owners. That's all he does. And he does the type of work and he looked at our product, really liked it. And then I was like, what, what system do you use? And he was like pro connect. And I was like, uh, I mean, we literally can't you know, like, we can help. It's so you. weird because Lacert they're owned by the same people. So you think obviously yeah, they so bought Lacert. It's, but. it's a, it's yeah. The, they, they bought Lacert and they bought, so Larry Lacert did it right. Larry Lacert's SDKs are wide open and I can get anything I want out of the software. So you can imagine that we can start because we're between the keyboard and the floor all the time. I can start. It wasn't Renee Lacert. There's another Lacert. Larry Lacert. Larry Lacert oh. is the, is the guy that started it in Santa Barbara back in the eighties. Um, 
he and a group of guys, they end up moving to Dallas, but they started in Santa Barbara, California. They, they went, went to UCSB. To, I went mm-hmm. to high school with uh, one of the guys that was in that group. Or not one of the guy's sons that was in that group. So, but Larry the Third built it wide open. He built what I always thought was the communication tools. Why I picked it, why I liked it was it was the most interfaceable, created the most opportunities for me to interface with clients and to pull data out if I wanted it. And so I, um, that's, that's what I liked about it. But then when I started to learn more about importing and how they work on the importing side, I saw some things I could do there. Once we got the SDKs, I don't know that enough accountants use the SDKs, but once we, you know, there's no cost for it, but um, you now we just push all the data straight in, but we'll be able to start doing things that like, if you have a client that's got a pass through entity, did they write a check? And does it match an estimated tax payment inside their individual tax return? And was it coded to an expense? So I can see, okay, wait, I've got a, they're coding their tax payment to tax expense instead of a distribution. So if I can identify that and catch it the day after, instead of like at the last minute when I'm reviewing and going, why did taxes go up so much if salaries didn't? And then you realize they got all their estimated tax payments in inside payroll taxes and you're, yeah. you're stuck and you got to make all those adjustments. This allow us, this give us a notification that they did it. We don't have to look for it. We can get a notification that they did it yesterday. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been interesting kind of talking about like, uh, talking to a lot of CPAs and now that we're out talking to them, realizing that a lot of the conversations that we had over the last couple of years about the product that Ford was really pushing on really do like, they, they seemed like not big deals for us to worry about. And then they're little things that cause such big problems in CPA firms and create such massive tech debt. You know, we even take users through a process of setting up an email for our system to connect to their QuickBooks online. And the whole reason is that it makes it easier to disconnect or control or change. And I was kind of talking to somebody about that at Accounting Web, and he was like, I'm trying to leave a billing platform right now, and we used the wrong email 15 years ago, and now we can't access it to change it. And so I'm stuck on this platform until we get that figured out. And it's, you know, I think that's what a lot of these big like into it with ProConnect specifically, I think they're creating really bad, really bad tech debt for a lot of CPAs because if a CPA firm starts with ProConnect, but then grows quite a bit, ProConnect might not be a good service for them anymore. But in order to get that data out is a tremendous amount of work. And so that's, that's a thing that we're trying to buck against um, to help. It's our data. That's, that is the thing that I, we sign those tax returns under penalties of perjury. And for them, and we pay a very, very healthy amount for the tax processing and the warehousing of that data in a format that I can go back and access and amend and things like that. And I shouldn't have to pay a nickel to get the data that I was so painfully gathered out of the tax software. And it's it's, most of it's locked up to where we can't even access it. Yeah, I've always wanted someone to do a tax, like mine all the data from the individual tax returns and give us data on that oh i've got you'd like my so i i call it a master sheet that reconciliation that you do in excel um you know back to the tax return it's sort of the work paper that we have and so inside my inside my firm when i pull up my reconciliation sheet it's already linked to the tax return it pulls over all the answers you update it and you can compare i'm saying like i want to know like the average agi for my clients and like if they're a certain in like a doctor where do they fit and compare them to other doctors, stuff like that. 
It's a that's the next thing for you to build. It's benchmarks. Yeah, well, so we do we do call it a benchmark center, but but we're our first goal is to be able to pull the tax rate out of the prior, and that's what we'll do with Lacerd to pull the tax rate out of the prior year return. Where if I'm looking at real time taxable income with a client, I've actually got last year's tax rate in there. We can start to be smarter, but what we really did find was we have so much data. Like CPA firms have so much data, but we don't use it. We don't use like ninety eight percent of it. Oh, it's, it's sitting there. We don't it's really deep. access it. We we don't have clean access to it though. So yeah. that's I mean it starts with ex- accessing our own data and Yeah. What you were just saying is like we don't really have good access to our data. Yeah, what we'd love to be able to do is to plug in with a we don't want to build a CRM, but we'd rather give this data into a CRM. So when if, if you had a CRM, a lot of firms are saying, "Hey, we need a CRM. This data ought to be in the CRM." So when you call a client yeah, I, I can see your income's up for the year. It looks like it's been a while since a bank reconciliation has been done. Can I log on and take care of that? But we probably need to look at a tax plan. You're accumulating a little bit of cash. And that's the conversation you're having real time with data that included yesterday with a client that called and you've got drill down detail and you can switch. And if they've got 15 entities, you can see them all side by side, double click so, to consolidate or look at across all of them to see what their taxable income was like. So we're winding back to the start of this conversation where the firm had you know the first firm you started at tax firms they had it all figured out before tech and we had this chorus of disruptions happen in the last 10 years 15 years years, yeah they really just started these disruptions are going to continue to evolve and then it'll become there is best in breed and best practices and best ways to do things but i think i'm just still swimming in a sea of people that don't know heads from tails and don't know what's going to happen next or where what we should be doing or how we should be doing it so then you have people like you developing your own products to solve these problems because nobody else is really solving it for us how long do you think before we have that that serene you know stable way of doing things you know this is the way everybody does it this is the this is the way there is no the way anymore we're questioning that with this podcast all time we don't know. I don't know because what the right is, way is to do things. It's what did we do last year, except for it's different for every single client of the firm. And so we don't have a true workflow that is a standard to work off of. But that's, I, I think that what you'll see out of this with us is that, um, you know, we'll cut eight hours off of your tax prep time during tax season because we'll give you the data before. Right. And then the IRS issues some new regulations and some new standards. And then all of a sudden you've just added two or three more hours back. Um, right. But yeah. it's, but I've solved the things that we already know how to solve for. Yeah. And one of the things that we definitely saw during the pandemic, but as opposed to everybody else, I've already got a trailing 12 for every one of my clients. So when I needed to make that, that, that has an average, because that's a pretty standard tool that businesses use to either close their books or just to kind of as a constant trailing 12. When we were building the platform, I had one client that was on using it all the time because we were actually where you can drag and drop to do consolidated reporting. So I have a client that's got a couple of entities. And so he was very excited to be able to see consolidated numbers out of QuickBooks desktop overnight, every night. And so we would, when I would get stuck at a deadline, the CTO would call him and what do you need? And he wanted a trailing 12 and we built a trailing 12. So when the pandemic started, I already had a trailing 12 for all of my clients and in a transaction based workflow, I could look and see, okay, I'm looking for the word PPP in a memo and I can identify the deposit that started that PPP loan. So now I know when the eight weeks started 
and I could build a workflow. And it took about 16 hours to code something that I could actually track all of my clients in one screen for how they were, when did they start? How are they progressing? How are they, how was that happening? And then we could have fed that out to the entire industry instead of sending an Excel spreadsheet that said, here's the calculation, which was very helpful for me to build out to make it work. I used their Excel spreadsheet, but I actually could have produced it with every one of your clients data in it. In one screen, you could have seen everybody and you could, you could, we could have highlighted, we could have sent out notifications. There's a lot of things that we could have done in the pandemic with a workflow like this. If, because we solve, everything's exactly the same. We solve it for one CPA. We solve it for one client. That's what effective means Mm -hmm. that you do something once and it impacts everybody. Being efficient is what we've been for a long time, but with ineffective tools. And so efficiency, the reason I said I try to avoid that word is the effective means I'm impacting next year. Everything we do, impacting it positively. Everything we do impacts next year, whether we ignore it or not. And so if we ignore it, that's the highest chance that something's going to go very, very bad. It's very rare. Take your health. Yep, yes, exactly. And so what I was going to say earlier is I think that the first disruptive element was the, was the desktop accounting solution where clients began to take care of it, their accounting and Before accountants adapted to the desktop, the cloud came. Yeah. And now desktop's the enemy in, in a lot of cases. But, but that first disruptive force, we never addressed that. And yeah, so what, what I, I mean. think that's we've seen, I, mean, yeah. I yeah. think what we've seen is an accumulation of a problem that keeps getting worse and worse. And we keep stacking new things on it. That's why it never gets better. It's because it's called the app stack. You just stack more apps on top of it to fix this next derivative problem. But, but, well, and- but as far as how we conquer the problem, we're going to go pull a trial balance from a client three weeks before the deadline. That isn't going to automatically map to the tax return next year for the first time if it hasn't mapped automatically. So we're still going to have the same issues. Best case scenario, next tax season will be as bad as this tax season. If anything else changes, it's definitely going to be worse. It's not going to automatically navigate and start to get better if you don't proactively plan to make changes. That roadmap is never, if you're my age and you haven't figured that out by now, if you keep doing what you did last year, it's never going to get better. And we saw that everybody was so excited for the pandemic to end and finally tax season is going to be back and there's nobody involved that didn't call it a train wreck you know i'm i'm sorry there's a couple of people that said you know it was nice to get back in the office we had a good tax season but most people were this is the worst ever because just because we went back to the office our workflow didn't get solved nothing got solved inside our firm nothing ever changed in what we did and so it's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse until we proactive the, the roadmap that you're looking at and I think it's why we have such high turnover. If you're a, if you're a CPA, we pull up my before after picture. And if anybody wants to see it, it's todayican.net slash about, I think is what it is. Yeah, then you just go to todayican.net. Yeah. Yes. And there's a thing that says getting started or how do I start? And that picture's on there. And I'll pull that picture up at a conference and say, you know, if you talk to accountant, if you talk to the industry, Barry Melicon or somebody like that inside the AICPA, and they is this a before after picture? He'll say we're the after picture because look at all the revenues, look how great it is. But the staff look at that and they think, I, you know, we're the before picture. We can't process everything we've got, everything we're taking in. We can't process it, so we're holding on to it and we're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's if we as leadership inside the firms are saying, oh, don't worry about it. I weighed four hundred pounds in. I can just weigh five hundred pounds next year. We can just. And the staff's like, this is terrible, and they're leaving faster than ever. I mean, they're they're. It's been a 
it's 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 going to continue to go that way until we can paint a picture for the staff people that said for the for the staff and for the next generation of accountants that said here's the roadmap that's going to take us out of this they're going to continue to leave because if they just watch us go after more work and esg and things like that they're going to go when i'm working 100 hours a week now i want to add more headaches to it. yeah you better show me how we're going to take care of the work we have now before you go merge with another firm. And I've got another partner that before you go and acquire more workforce, you better start solving how we're going to, how we're going to get the tax returns done. Now let's start doing cast. Let's start doing advisory. Let's That's the adding thing. more to that top line. We had, we had a, we had a conversation today with a, uh, with a CAS firm that's looking at, that's starting to use our product and they do, they do tax, but they've really built around this CAS practice. And I told him, I was like, you know, CAS was the AICPA's way of tackling this, you know, this like, you know, bloatedness, throw more people at it. I was like, but now you're running out of people and we're running out of the sides of the planet. We had better hope that there's intelligent life out there because we're going to not have anybody else to outsource to on this planet just to handle our. That's the thing that doesn't make any sense. And the part that, you know, it's like we've gone to the entire planet to take care of the accounting for one country, what's, what's going to happen if their economies start to catch up? I mean, why, why is this such a massive problem? Nobody wanted to do cash work 15 years ago. It was bookkeeping. That's what, and, and now they're telling us. It was right up. It was bookkeeping and now it's cash. But if I, if I do the bookkeeping inside the firm, if I'm cash, and I, especially if I outsource it and a client calls me tomorrow and says, Hey, I'm looking at this transaction y'all posted yesterday. What happened? And I got to log in. I'm charging them for this. I They believe I should know more about it. But there's no difference between my bookkeeper on the other side of the planet and the bookkeeper they used to that, that they used to use. Where we don't know. We don't we don't have any real way to, to audit what they did yesterday or to check what they did yesterday. And we're not taking responsibility for it. We're just going to do more work because it's like our our solution provider said, oh, well, we can't do anything about that you guys are going to have to do more work if you want to be proactive it just doesn't make any that that whole logic doesn't make any sense to me and so i never was one to embrace it i never wanted to enter every check i never wanted to do any of that and so uh, we certainly have a solution that works for it and we do a lot of but we do some of that work but we've never aggressively gone out and done it we just we use it to help train the staff on how do you enter a credit card in quickbooks how do you do this how do you do this so that I sort of look at them as a loss leader. And I know a lot of people are building their whole practice around it, but it's just training around for new hires. Mm. Way I look at it. I can mean, you got any closing statements? No, I agree with that. That's why I think we're going to focus more on tax, yeah. less on gas. Well, you guys gas. need to get once. Yeah. <laughs> we need once. You need once. You Come solve it once. <laughs> Exactly. This is a this is a platform that's very difficult to sell to somebody what you do in five minutes. That's probably the breadth, of, the depth of which. Well, the to me, it seems like you know we use financial prep. It seems like it's financial prep, but what's nice about it is it will has some intelligence to tell you like you need to look at some underlying data. Yeah, but yeah, I yeah, can yeah. sell it to it you is, in a few statements. It's the book to tax bridge. That you don't have already. Yeah, but that's financial press. Financial prep is a book to tax bridge. I, what uh, you yeah. guys do is you you guys pull into each individual data and you have some intelligence underneath that. 
it's Look, a smart we, book to tax bridge. We can, it's a we smart can bridge. Say, we can say it's easy to sell, but I saw a thing on tax Twitter today that was I'm so someone saying I'm so glad I don't work in the software industry for accounting anymore because it is absolutely soul killing. And <laughs> it is true. It is one of the hardest industries to sell into. So it's it, we can we can wrap it as many ways as we want. But uh, Ooh, speaking of wraps and sales. I've been doing raps for our ads because I need to make them more interesting so accountants oh, yeah. will listen to them. Yep. So, so I got so far I got three, two of them that I did. Yeah. I did one for Giraffe and one for uh, Dark Horse. Maybe yeah, I could do a once one day. Yeah. Well, uh, no, that I, I'm your guy, man. Send me your uh, send me your marketing write up and I'll I'll get with you. I mean, we'd love to. You guys, you guys brought us on for for free and we got to talk about the platform so i might as well oh, we'll take your money too. scratch your back so we will definitely uh, yeah we can yeah. run the ads before this episode we'll be create a tax four or five months right before this you. episode Don't comes worry. out yeah is that the so in the world yeah. of instantaneous is that is is that how long it takes to edit clean up and do one of these is four or five months no no just me just it's in your my backlog. backwards world well where no I we've just 40. recorded a lot we're just cranking that's a out. prolific podcaster that's a good way to do it well, I, He's like I, how Wilt Chamberlain was with having sex with women. That's what Scott is for podcasting. Oh, oh my gosh. I feel yeah. so I need, used. I need to, uh, I, I hate to, I hate Please to feel podcast. special. Every, every single one is special while, the, while okay, it's well, still so recording. Tell us, they are, everyone is special. Okay, yeah. so tell if we're interested in once, where do we go? Onceaccounting.com? Um, yeah, onceaccounting.com. You can follow us on Twitter at onceaccounting and find us on LinkedIn as well. You can also follow Ford and I on Twitter. I am W.S. Baker, and Ford is Ford CPA, like the car, F-O-R-D-C-P-A. And then, yeah, so that's I love it. Multiple we'll places. put all these in the show notes, too. Yeah. So, so one of these days, I'll start tweeting. It's, to me, the Twitter is the hardest thing to do because... Stay I'm, off it. It's better you don't. It's probably, well, yeah, best, for, it's probably been... best for the company that you don't. Yes. <laughs> legally, legally you shouldn't but emotionally as well i have yeah. been trying to start this twitter thing and it's i'm six or seven months in and it's a nightmare i'm i'm if people are like oh you should post something like that on facebook and i'm like that means i have to log back onto facebook again and so there was a while that i was into it but once yeah, i got out after um, accounting web i got on twitter for work because I was like, all right, this seems like a good place to just kind of understand content, what the industry is doing. And then a bunch of my friends followed me and pretty quickly were like, is all you're going to talk about and tweet about accounting stuff? And I was like, it's going to be a lion's share of it. And they all unfollowed me. <laughs> <laughs> so. I love yeah. Well, it was great having you guys on. Yeah, and, thanks for the time, guys. Uh, we'll check out the software and yeah. take care. 